Well, would you open God's precious holy word with me to Ezekiel chapter 20. These Jewish people from Judah who are with Ezekiel in captivity are a boneheaded group of people. They're well, they're close. It's kind of like what they say about the the golden calf. They said, that sounds like a Baptist church. They sat down to eat and rose up to play. In this case, the elders of Israel come to the prophet to inquire of the Lord. And just exactly what the inquiry was, we don't know. But it seems that they are consistently uh, perturbed over the fact that they've been put out to captivity. Still not understanding, evidently, all of the charges that the Lord has brought against them. So, here is a, a recounting of Israel's past rebellion and a promise of future restoration, which is really the story of the Old Testament. The only reason these people are, are special is because God makes them special. That's the only, that's the only reason any of us are special, uh, is because God makes us special. Abram was worshiping the moon god in Ur, of the Chaldees. He was an Iraqi guy. He was in Iraq worshiping an idol, a pagan god. And God, God called him. God spoke to him. He, he didn't know God until God came to him, talked to him, called him. And brought him out of the place where he was. And then history has changed. And everything begins to revolve around the descendants of that man. Because in the course of time, God was obliged to select and prove to the world through those people that he would send the seed of woman, the, the Christ, the Savior, the last Adam, that everything that was messed up and death that seemed to prevail, these things were not going to be the end of everything, and God was going to take care of that. So he makes, he makes unconditional promises to Abram. And so we have the history of these people then that develop from there. And it's, it's one it's one mess up after another. They, they don't seem to be able to live with spiritual prosperity. They just fumble the ball everywhere. 
So here's what the Lord says. Number one to these elders through the prophet, he says, remind them of what kind of people they really are. Beginning in verse one, it came about in the seventh year, the fifth month on the 10th of the month. Now that would be in, um, that'd be in August of 597 BC. That's a long time ago. On the 10th of the month that certain of the elders of Israel came to inquire of the Lord and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, speak to the elders of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Do you come to inquire of me as I live? Declares the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. Will you judge them? Will you judge them, son of man? Make them know the abominations of their fathers and say to them, Make them to know the abominations of their fathers. Well, that was recorded in their scriptures. And so these people really had discounted the word of God in every they 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 totally ignored the, the, the law. They didn't believe the prophets who even who even gave the fact that they were to go into Babylonian captivity. They didn't believe that. And they have evidently, just, just from the way it reads, it seems that uh, they came in some kind of uh, arrogant way to inquire of the Lord. You know, we saw a little bit of this in previous chapters where they were, where they were saying that they didn't deserve. You know, the pro God says, you're not going to say this proverb anymore. Remember those proverbs that were pro so popular in the day? And, and the, the implication was that the people were blaming God. God, this wouldn't be happening to us. Except, see, they didn't take any personal responsibility. It was all God's fault. They didn't, they didn't view their situation in the proper perspective, and they didn't view it in light of uh, biblical truth. And they're still in denial because if they weren't, instead of coming in and in questioning God, they would be repentant. They, they, would be, they would be of a different mindset. But they're still, they just keep marching back to the prophet. Well, we need you to ask the Lord about this. It don't seem right. You know, so this is the implication. So here's what the Lord says. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be put on trial by you and let you cross-examine me. Remind them of their history. Now in their history, God would bless them. They would prosper. They would be strengthened as a people. And as a hearty, as a hearty nation, they would be protected. God gave them good leaders. God gave them capable uh, military strength and economic prosperity because he was, pro he was protecting the promise of the Christ in these people. He divinely intervened from time to time. All of this is written in their history, but they never could handle the prosperity that, in a proper way that God had given to them. And they would run off and just want to be like the rest of the world. In the course of time, God would send prophets. God would fire a warning shot. 
They refused to accept it, and judgment would fall. Now, in a, in a summary, through the prophet, the Lord brings to their mind and to their attention their history. The point being, you're not any different from the generations that have preceded you. I judged them for what they did after warning them, and I retain the same prerogative with you. First of all, then, God says to remind them. So secondly, now, that now it begins. Remind them, first of all, of Egypt. Beginning uh, verse 5. And say to them, thus says the Lord God, on the day when I chose Israel and swore to the descendants of the house of Jacob and made myself known to them in the land of Egypt, when I swore to them, saying, I am the Lord your God. On that day I swore to them to bring them out of the, from the land of Egypt into a land that I had selected for them, flowing with milk and honey, which is the glory of all lands. And I said to them, Cast away each of you the detestable things of his eyes, and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me and were not willing to listen to me. They did not cast away the detestable things of their eyes, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I resolved to pour out my wrath on them, to accomplish my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom they lived in whose sight I made myself known to them by bringing them out of the land of Egypt. So I took them out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness, and I gave them my statutes and informed them of my ordinances, by which if a man observes them, he will live. And also I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. These these ordinances involve more than the Ten Commandments, you see. God gave the law, the, the moral, the, the, the law, thou shalt, God gave that law in a fairly brief section. And for the next lengthy portion God gave to them provision for making atonement for their sin. In other words, he knew they couldn't keep the law. But he gave them other ordinances, you see. He gave them other things. And this was to show their hearts that they were mindful that they were sinners. And so they were to bring... You know, the, the animal sacrifices and so forth. Observe the rituals and ceremonies. God gave them the law and then he gave them, he gave them the, uh, all, all of the offerings that they could make. We have a couple of Shih Tzus. I lay down the law. They're, they know what I'm talking about. I say, look, don't you soil this place. Oh, and they'll just, you know, they just, just hurts their feelings all over that I would even think that they'd do something wrong. But while I'm telling them not to soil the floor, I put down puppy pads. 
I know they can't perfectly obey the law. So I give them a way out. Well, this is the way it was with, with and that God says, look, I, I gave to them this way of living. By this way, they would stay in tune with me and with who they are and with who I am and with their need for me and with their need for my sanctification. So he says here, I gave them the Sabbaths, verse 12. That was a sign between the two of us that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Now, the Sabbath was something that was, that was set aside special from the rest of the days. It was a testament that God was the worker, that God was the accomplisher, that God would take care of everything and we would rest on what God had done. Now, there's a, there's a, you can make a lengthy uh, treatise out of, out of the law of the Sabbath, but that's essentially what it is. There's no stronger type of Christ, in my view, in the Old Testament than the Sabbath. We discover in the New Testament that Christ is our Sabbath. He is our rest. We rest on His accomplished work. So you see, here's what, here's what God says to them in giving them the law and His covenant of the Sabbath and so forth, they're going to know that I'm going to take care of them because they're going to observe these things. I've given them the law which reveals the true condition of man. In other words, our inability to be perfect. And I'm going to give them further provisions so that they can show me that they assume the place of a sinner. And that by set us, setting aside certain things in certain days and so forth, they're, they're showing in their hearts that I'm the one who does all the work for them and that they rest on me. They have faith in me. So this is what he's saying. Remind them of Egypt. They didn't keep his ways, you see. So then, he goes on, he says, then remind them of how they behaved in the wilderness. Beginning verse 13. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes. They rejected my ordinances by which if a man observes them, he'll live. And my Sabbaths they greatly profaned. Then I resolved to pour out my wrath on them in the wilderness to annihilate them, but I acted for the sake of my name that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations before whose sight I had brought them out. And also I swore to them in the wilderness that I would not bring them into the land which I had given them, flowing with milk and honey, which is the glory of all lands, because they rejected my ordinances. And as for my statutes, they did not walk in them. They even profaned my Sabbaths, for their heart continually went after their idols. And so we see this in the book of Numbers. Pathetic book. After 40 years, there are fewer of them at the end of the book than there were at the beginning of the book. They were numbered to begin with, then they were numbered at the end of it. They had... They had they had shown themselves 
to be rebellious. Moses was always on his knees before God, begging God to forgive him. They were always against Moses. Always against what Moses wanted to do. Always against this plan to go into the promised land. Not accepting the word and the will and the way of God for whatever reason, not believing that God would protect the same God that had brought them out of Egypt, that had given them a pillar of fire and a cloud, had parted the sea, manna and so forth, still was not able to keep them from harm in the land. So they failed. And they died there. Then God said, remind them about that second generation in the wilderness. Beginning in verse 17. So my eye spared them rather than destroying them, and I did not cause their annihilation in the wilderness. And I said to their children in the wilderness, do not walk in the statutes of your fathers, or keep their ordinances, or defile yourselves with their idols. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and observe them. Sanctify my Sabbaths. They shall be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. But the children rebelled against me. They did not walk in my statutes, nor were they careful to observe my ordinances by which if a man observes them, he will live. They profaned my Sabbaths, so I resolved to pour out my wrath on them to accomplish my anger against them in the wilderness." But I withdrew my hand and acted for the sake of my name that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations in whose sight I had brought them out. Also I swore to them in the wilderness that I would scatter them among the nations and disperse them among the lands because they had not observed my ordinances but had rejected my statutes and had profaned my Sabbaths and their eyes were on the idols of their fathers. And I also gave them statutes that were not good and ordinances by which they could not live. And I pronounced them unclean because of their gifts, in that they caused all their firstborn to pass through the fire, so that I might make them desolate, in order that they might know that I am the Lord. Then God says, remind them next of how they were when they came into the land that I would promised them. Beginning in verse 27. Therefore, son of man, speak to the house of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, yet in this your fathers have blasphemed me by acting treacherously against me. When I had brought them into the land which I swore to give to them, then they saw every high hill and every leafy tree, and they offered there their sacrifices. And there they presented the provocation of their offering, and there also they made their soothing aroma, and there they poured out their libations. Then I said to them, what is the high place to which you go? So it is, the name of it is called Bema to this day. No, it's not Bama, it's Bama. Then he says, now tell them that the same attitude exists today in their hearts, in your day, Ezekiel. So verses 30 and 31. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, will you defile yourselves after the manner of your fathers and play the harlot after their detestable things? And when you offer your gifts and when you cause your sons to pass through the fire, you are defiling yourselves with all of your idols to this day. 
And shall I be inquired of by you, O house of Israel, as I live, declares the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. God is saying, don't put me on trial. Don't cross-examine my wrath, my judgment, and my word. I'm acting in the same way as I did toward the fathers, your fathers, who sinned in the same way that you are sinning. You are no different from them. Now, when God says this through the prophet, they have to agree that exactly what God had said is how it was. They were doing the same things their fathers had done. They were in rebellion in the same way that generations before them had been in rebellion. And God reserved the right to pour out His wrath on them because through that the world would know that He is God. Here's what God says. God, and, and this is the way it is today. People, don't, people live in denial of it, but you see... God made a promise in Deuteronomy that the clock of the world ticks according to the way God deals with Israel. That's just the way it is. Now, it's that way because God said it's that way. There's no, other, there's no better, there's no other explanation. God said in Deuteronomy 32, He said, I'm going, to, I'm going to deal with the other people of the world according to the way that I deal with you. And in that verse, God says, the world will know where it is according to how I am dealing with you at that particular time. So then, God makes... God makes a declaration that he knows that the world, for the most part, is in denial of. Namely, this. Every time the world sees Israel, whether in the person of a Jew or whether in the nation as a whole, every time the world sees those people, they are reminded of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. If they do just a little research, they will discover that everything that has happened to the Jew is in accord with what God has said in his word. It hasn't missed a beat not in all of the history of man since the time of Abraham. If nothing else proves the existence of Almighty God, it is the existence of the Israelites in this world. So, even though he would disperse them among the nations, he still has to deal with them and preserve them and even though he's punishing them, he still has to, in, in a strange way, take care of them so that the world will know that he's God. That's what he says here. And it, and it goes all, and we're going to see this to a greater extent, God willing, later on in Ezekiel's uh, prophecy. So then, 
He says, I'm not going to be cross-examined by you. Open your eyes, read your Bible, go look on the tombstones of your fathers and see the wreckage of Israel in the generations before you. Check the history and take note that that train wrecked because it defied my word and my way. And it fell deeply into sin, though I had warned them. And now you're traveling down that same set of tracks. So I'm not going to be cross-examined by you. This is the way it is. And you know it. Deny it if you want to, but you know in your heart this is the way it is. So then, God then says, for all of this, I'm still going to rule over you. Beginning verse 32, verses 32 and 33. And what comes about in your mind and what comes into your mind will not come about. When you say, we will be like the nations, like the tribes of the lands, serving wood and stone. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out, I shall be king over you. That's a messianic promise. God, we saw it here. God declared that Zedekiah was the end of the sons of David until the son of David is placed on the throne. So then, what's happening right now with these people? God is, is making the statement, and He did, and they've even come back to be, and we'll study this, God willing, we get over a few chapters. God is telling them, here's what God says to them. You're going to want to be like everybody else, but I'm not going to let you. I will be king over you. That's God's promise. And so in whatever generation, wherever these people are, regardless of what's in their hearts, God overrules them. And we're headed toward the establishment of a kingdom. The ruler of which will be the king of kings, the son of David. And in a millennial in a millennial age, the most favored nation status will belong to Israel. We are told in the Bible, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Because we learn in the Old Testament, there won't be any peace in Jerusalem until the son of David, the son of David, comes back and sits there as king. We're reminded in, in Daniel that the Gentiles will rule over Jerusalem. And they do. But God has an irrevocable plan that will not be stopped. And these people have a big part in His plan. Last part. Next to the last part. Beginning in verse 34. I will purge you in those foreign lands. And it's taking a long time for God to purge them. Hundreds of years. 
He is purging them through the generations until the time will come. We see in Zechariah, for example, that they will look upon the one whom they pierced and they'll weep. They'll weep as a nation. They'll weep as families. They'll weep individually. Uncontrolled grief that they as a people had actually pierced their Christ, their King. Well, this is a lesson that's taking a long time for them to learn. It's purging. It's a process. Here's what God says me in verse 34. And I shall bring you out from the peoples that gather you from the lands where you are scattered. And with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out. And I shall bring you into the wilderness of the peoples, the nations. There I shall enter into judgment with you face to face. As I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will enter into the judgment with you, declares the Lord God, and I shall make you pass under the rod, and I shall bring you into the bond of the covenant. That's the new covenant Jeremiah talked about in chapter 31. A new covenant of restoration. And I shall purge you from the rebels... And those who transgress against me, I shall bring them out of the land where they sojourn, but they will not enter the land of Israel. Thus you will know that I am the Lord. When he brings out his rod, his sheep, it's, this is a shepherd's term, his sheep have to pass under his rod. He counts them, he knows them. The good shepherd, John 10. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And when he pulls out that rod, only his sheep can pass under that rod. Nothing else. So he purges them, you see. Through this long process, he purges Israel. You won't get to the land yet, but you're going to know that I'm the Lord. Finally, last part for tonight. I will then bring you back into the land. Verse 39. As for you, O house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, Go serve everyone his idols, but later you will surely listen to me. In my holy name you will profane no longer with your gifts and with your idols, for on my holy mountain, on the high mountain of Israel, declares the Lord God, the whole house of Israel, all of them will serve me in the land, and there I shall accept them. And there I shall seek your contributions and the choicest of your gifts with all your holy things. As a soothing aroma, I shall accept you when I bring you out from the peoples and gather you from the lands where you are scattered, and I shall prove myself holy among you in the sight of the nations." And you will know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel, into the land which I swore to give to your forefathers. And there you will remember your ways and all of your deeds with which you have defiled yourselves. And you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for all the evil things that you've done. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I have dealt with you for my name's sake. Not according to your evil ways or according to your corrupt deeds, O house of Israel, declares the Lord God. 
The next section actually belongs to chapter 21, so we're going to stop right there. But remember, in the Revelation, for example, we're told that they'll see the one they pierced. You know, even, even the ones who crucified, those who put him to death, they will look upon the one whom they have pierced. This is a promise from God. You're going to pass through a lot of purging through the, through the, through the, through the generations and you're going to be scattered. And then the time's going to come when I bring you back to the land. It's there in the land that you will know that I am the Lord. So how close can we be to the glorious return of the Lord and the time when these people weep and they see that Jesus Christ is the Son of David, Son of God, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Well, we'll stop there and pick up there next time, God willing, and we'll have our uh, deacon prayer time.